This morning in the Atlanta airport, no one's missing a meal on Mac Wilburn's watch. With 11 restaurants to serve passengers, he's got dining for every destination. And it all started when Mac talked with First Horizon Bank about opening a franchise in the airport. Now it's open for business and cleared for takeoff. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Mac. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Good evening and welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA players, legends, and top instructors go to share their stories, insights, and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by the French Lick Resort, Ben Hogan Golf, the PGA Tour Superstore, Two Wonder, the Salt Creek Golf Retreat, TaylorMade Golf, the Bobby Jones Apparel Company, and Superspeed Golf. Now, here's your host, Chris Mascaro. Good evening, everyone, and happy PGA Championship Week to you. I hope your week is off to a really great start, and thank you for coming back and joining me tonight here on Next on the Tee. So who you got this week? You think it's going to be Tiger? Do you think he can make it two in a row, 16 majors, tie Sam Snead with 82 victories? Or, you know, does Brooks Kepka continue to be the Chris Carter of golf and all he does is win majors? What about Ricky? Is this the week he finally breaks through? Does Jordan Spieth finally find himself? Does Dustin Johnson show Tiger that he's the guy now? These are just a few of the stories that uh, we could see written by uh, by Sunday night. You guys know I'm a Spieth guy rooting hard for Jordan to get it back together. But if I were a betting man and I was going to put money on this thing, my money's on Kepka. He's so consistently good, folks, in the majors, having obviously won back-to-back U.S. Opens, going for a three-peat next month. Look at this, folks. If you go back to 2017, Kepka finished tied for 11th and 17 at the Masters, then won the U.S. Open, tied for 6th at the Open Championship, tied for 13th at the PGA. Then last year, right, he missed the the Masters, had a little injury there, but comes back, wins the U.S. Open, tied for 39th. So not great, tied for 39th at the Open Championship, but then wins the PGA Championship. And then this year, tied for 2nd at the Masters last month. And then if you want to go even further back, go back to 2016, he tied for fourth at the PGA Championship that year. So if he's not winning, he's certainly right there. So if I'm putting money down, it's on Kepka. I expect he's going to be right there uh, again this week as well. So looking forward to a great PGA Championship. Obviously, we're going to talk a great deal about that tonight on the show. And speaking of tonight's show, my first guest is going to be one of my all-time favorites and a regular with me now, and that's Golf Tip Magazine uh, Top 25 instructor Tom Patrick. You know TP has uh, just become a wonderful friend of the show and an integral part, joining me a couple of times every month now. He's originally from right around the corner from Bethpage State Park, so home of the black, the black course right in this week's PGA. So we'll talk about his time there and his experience out on the course, what he expects from this week's tournament, the conditions that the course was in before it was recently, you know, they did a nice transformation up there. So we'll talk about sort of the before and after who he thinks is going to be on top of the leaderboard come Sunday night. Plus what I think is an unfortunately an unfortunate scheduling issue this week, which is we've got the women's senior U.S. Open being played this week over at Pine Needles in North Carolina. I'm not sure how much viewership that tournament's going to get, which is very unfortunate when you're going up against and you're opposite a PGA major, but uh, Tom and I will talk about that as well. 
Plus, and you guys know me, I'll probably sneak in a playing lesson or three as well. So looking forward to having TP with me here in just a few minutes. Following him, I'm going to get a visit from the director of instruction from right here in Atlanta at the new Bobby Jones Golf Complex, and that's Jason Kuiper. I'm going to talk to Jason about his career growing up uh, through the game of golf so far. Came here from the McCord Golf School down in Orange Lake, Florida, just down the street from Disney World. There he worked with Rick McCord, who is, oh, by the way, been a top 100 instructor every year that Golf Magazine has been putting that list together, going all the way back to 1991. So we'll talk about his time and uh, his tutelage under Rick McCord, plus his insights on the new Bobby Jones Golf Complex, which is one of a kind, folks, featuring a fully reversible nine-hole layout. Uh, so we'll talk about that, and uh, you can go there. And, and here's how it's when we talk about reversible, you can play the nine, and you can play that nine twice one day, and come back the next and play, play a completely different layout in a nine-hole course the next. So want to talk about that with Jason. Plus, I'll probably get a few tips from him as well. So looking forward to having Jason on the show with me a little bit later on in this half hour. We're also supposed to have Shrixon, Cleveland Golf, and Zexio Territory Manager Perry French with us tonight. But Perry is homesick in bed, so I hope he'll come back and join me again soon, Perry. Get well soon, my friend. I'm hopefully going to get to be able to listen to you and Matthew Lawrence on Backspin Golf come Sunday, which is Always my uh, regular 8.03 a.m. tea time Sunday morning. So, Perry, I hope you're well enough to be back with Matthew this week and then with me uh, again shortly. But, folks, we got a lot of great stories and information coming your way tonight. Thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me over the next hour or so. But before we get started, I always like to remind you about my good friend Mitch Lawrence and his podcast, Talking Golf Getaways. He and his co-host, Darren Bunch, let you know about great places to stay, play, and even eat and drink while you're there. You can stream their podcast over on Golf Trip X, and that's a letter X, so GolfTripX.com. It's also available on Audio Boom, Stitcher, and Player.fm as well. So go there, check out the show, and learn about some of the hidden gems that we have here around the country. His twin brother, Matthew, also has a great golf show called Backspin Golf, and his show airs Sunday mornings from 8 to 9 a.m. Eastern Time over on WLXG ESPN Radio AM 1300 up in Lexington, Kentucky. His show is also so much fun to listen to and be a part of because, you know, first of all, Matthew is just absolutely outstanding and a lot of fun. It is a really great way to kick off your Sunday mornings. Again, the name of the show is Backspin Golf. You can stream it online at WLXG.com or doing what I did, which is download the WLXG app. And, folks, as you know, we are sponsored by the French Lick Resort. Let's hear a word from our friend Steve Rondonero about what they have going on there this summer. It's a Pete Dye masterpiece, the Pete Dye course at French Lick Resort. Pete says its location on one of the highest points in Indiana makes it special. The long views, you can see many 20 and 30 miles from many of the fairways and many of the tees and greens. And, and you can see it in 360 degrees. Donald Ross's hill course put French Lick on the golf map more than 100 years ago. It's where Walter Hagen won the 1924 PGA Championship and the place where today's Symmetra Tour ladies battle each year. It's the ambience around it that makes the golf course. Combine our many resort amenities with legendary golf and you have a getaway like no other. French Lick Resort is the home of the Senior LPGA Championship, won in 2018 by World Golf Hall of Famer Laura Davies. Play the course's champions play. Plan your trip now online at FrenchLick.com. 
Yeah, folks, go online to FrenchLick.com to see for yourself what a beautiful place they have up there and to book your stay as well. I also want to tell you about our good friends at the Ben Hogan Golf Equipment Company. Now, folks, if you haven't hit Ben Hogan Iron since maybe the 80s or the 90s, do yourself a favor and get a demo iron from either their Fort Worth PTX, new PTX Pro, or Edge Irons and go out on the range and compare it to whatever it is you have. Now, all Ben Hogan irons and wedges are handcrafted one at a time in their Fort Worth, Texas factory. So no mass production, no shortcuts. Now you can order custom-made irons, wedges, and hybrids by going online to BenHoganGolf.com. And they're going to build those clubs to your specifications and, best of all, charge you a fraction of the typical retail price. Check out their complete line of forged irons, wedges, utility irons, hybrids, bags, accessories, and they've now introduced a new driver and a fairway wood this week as well. Check it all out online at BenHoganGolf.com. Please also check out our friends at the Bobby Jones Apparel Company by going online to BobbyJones.com. They've got their summer collection out. The thoughtful selection are rooted in character and endurance. The signature details, colors, and fabrications remind you that you are well on the way to the game you were meant to play on the course and in the course of life as well. Check out their summer collection online at BobbyJones.com. All right, now back with me here on the French Lick Resort guest line. Like I say, he's one of my favorite people on the planet and one of the best instructors you're going to find anywhere. He's Golf Tip Magazine's Top 25 instructor, and he's the new director of instruction at the Hawthorns Golf Club and Country Club up in Frishers, Indiana, and that's Mr. Tom Patrick. Good evening, TP. How are you tonight, my friend? Christopher, I am doing so good. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Is that right? Y'all settled in yeah. now up in Indiana? Yeah, I am. I'm a Hoosier now. I'm a, I'm an honorary Hoosier here here in Fishers, and uh, I've been here now. Let's see, I've been here five days, and I got to tell you something. The Hawthorns, which I had never played until I got here, although I'd just seen it one time, drove around it. I got to play this week, and it is really hard. It's a hard golf course, and uh, the old pro's got his hands full. Uh, it's it's a really good golf course. There's only there's only 18 good holes out there, so it's it's, it's uh, you got to strap it on pretty good. <laughs> and I, and I tell you what, Tom, and I saw some of the videos that you have posted this week on social media, and it looks like you're having an immediate impact on improving some of the swings of, of the membership up there. And I really like the TP logo. You got a TP logo board that helps people with proper takeaway and swing plane. And I saw some of the members up there swinging around that thing. Talk about that and the, the immediate impact you're having. Yeah, well, first of all, I got to give a shout out to Tommy Moore and his whole staff there who welcomed me, and the whole membership's been just incredibly, incredibly friendly. My first, uh, my first week on the job, it's been, it's been a pretty easy transformation up here. It's been just terrific. So thank you, Tommy Moore, and thank you the membership of the Hawthorns. But yeah, I, I, I built a little plane board, a uh, real simple plane board before I left Naples, and uh, it's something I believe in as far as path and plane and, and keeping the club in front of you and, and nodding it behind you get trapped. So it's it's a really simple device. Anybody can check it out. It's on my Facebook page. You saw it posted there, Chris, and uh, anybody that's interested, I'm, I'm glad to get uh, information to them. We're actually going to build them and, uh, and manufacture them and, and, and sell them to people who want to uh, get on plane. Wow. All right. So you got to let me know when those things are available. You use one of those in my backyard, I'll tell you that. No, you don't need one. Your 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 golf swing doesn't need that. You're, you're, I, I see your social media post from. I see your post from Myrtle Beach. You're, you don't need that at all. You're perfect. <laughs> I appreciate you, Tom. 
So here we are, TP, PGA Championship Week. Beth Page Black being the site of this week's major, which uh, is right in the backyard from where you grew up. So talk about that area and the time you spent out at Beth Page. Okay, can you imagine an area where you can you can just go? Let's go down the list. Beth Page Black, Beth Page Red. Which, by the way, if you don't know anything about Beth Page Red, it's really really good. Okay, Shinnecock National, Maidstone, Friars Head, Sabonic, Atlantic, Meadowbrook, the Creek Club. I mean, you know, Long Island's pretty pretty strong, uh, and we haven't even got to Westchester County or upstate New York. Um, but yeah, I, I grew up playing some golf at Beth Page uh, State Park. It's a public golf course. I was a public course kid, and you know, it, architecturally, I mean. If you haven't been to Beth Page Black and, you, and it's only pictures you've seen on TV, TV um, like Augusta doesn't do Beth Page Black any justice at all. Uh, I, I think personally it might be Tillinghouse best, and I'm a, you know I'm a Wingsford fan and I'm, I'm a Tilly fan, but Beth Page Black is you talk about strapping it on now. There is you know you better have your seatbelt on in the first tee because it's 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 a tough tough brutally long punishing and fair by the way everything's right in front of you no no tricks no no gimmicks it's just a hard championship golf course and tom to that end right for those of us who fancy the opportunity to play there someday since it is like you mentioned a public golf course but they actually have warning signs posted that the black horse is extremely difficult and should only be played by accomplished golfers. Do you think that's, you know, is that really the case? Is there just not a way for a guy like me who may shoot, you know, in the mid eighties on a normal day to go out there and enjoy that golf course? Is it just going to beat the heck out of me? Well, if, if, you, if you go out there with an expectation that you're going to conquer best page black and you're going to be able to hold your own out there. And I don't really care, Chris, what skill level you're playing at. I'm going to care if you're, if you're a three at your home course, you're a five or you're 11 or you're a 20, you can just tack five to seven to 10 more on the first trip around there. One, first of all, in fairness to anybody who goes out there and plays, uh, regardless of skill level, like, like every championship golf course, it takes a while to learn the nuances of a golf course that's that well laid out. So that, that alone, just, just the new trip around there the first time is going to punish you a little bit. And then, if you don't have your A game that day and you're an 11, well, you can, you're going to be a 19 or a 20 that day at Beth Page Black. And, you, you know, wow. it, it's just that hard. I mean, I, you know, I played a lot of, of the, a lot of the top 100 golf courses in this country. Probably, I think I've played 83 or 84 of them. Um, and, you know, Oakmont to me is a very difficult golf course. Overseas, Carnoustie is a very difficult golf course. Well, Beth Page Black is, every bit as hard as Oakmont, every bit as hard as Carnoustie. And I think architecturally, because some of the elevation changes, um, it's, it's really hard. And if you, if you have a really big ego and you're a single-digit handicap and you decide to go out there and play from the back, you know, I'm going to play where the pros play from. Well, there's, you know, if you look at the golf course, there's five, number five, number eight, 10, 11, 12, 15, and 16, can be stretched over 500 yards as par fours. So have a wow. nice day. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. And by the way, par 70, not par 72. So 74 or 7,500 yards, par 70. Okay. And if, if people understand golf, they'll understand that a par 70 at 7,400 yards with elevation change, 
uh, and incredible bunkering, incredible bunkering is, uh, is quite a test. So you've seen it over the course of several years. And I, I think not all that long ago, they did a, a bit of renovation and transformation out on the golf course. So talk about the before and after effect. So Chris, I, I started playing there when I was probably 13 or 14 or 15 years old. I can't exactly remember when I'm 60 now. And then before the first open was played there, which I believe was 02, is that correct? Check me on that. Um, yep. they, you know, they did a major, a major renovation of the property. But when I was growing up playing golf there, literally the place was in a shambles. I mean, there was glass in the bunkers, glass on greens, you know, beer cans and garbage. I remember the back of the, what is now the championship tee on number nine, there was an old burned out Volkswagen back there in the woods on the tee, what is now the teeing ground. There was an original tee back there that had gone to weed and somebody had driven a car back there and set it on fire. It was just left there. There were, there were uh, you know, some old car tires laying around the property. It was it was a mess. It was an absolute mess. And and you know they they made a the state of New York and and the uh, USGA originally made a commitment to put the golf course back into condition. I remember playing there with my friends as a little kid and saying, you know, if they ever if they ever fix this place up, they could play a U.S. Open here. Well, <laughs> my dream came true. They played a U.S. Open there and more. You know, it's. It's been an incredible transformation. Reese Jones did a wonderful job in not disturbing the original intent of Tillinghouse. The state of New York and USGA did a wonderful job in not disturbing the original intent of Tillinghouse. And the transformation has been absolutely incredible. The, the agronomists that participated, um, the people who work there day to day take a lot of pride in the facility now. It's, uh, it's been an incredible as as a as a native Long Islander and as a golf professional and as a passionate golfer, it's uh, it's it's made my heart so happy to see that whole facility. And by the way, the, the trickle down effect is that reds in better shape, blues in better shape, greens in better shape, and yellows in better shape. Five golf courses there, and they're all they're all reaping the benefits of the uh, of the revenue that's been produced and poured into the facility. It is without question in my mind the premier public facility in the world. So, Tom, you've talked, you know, about the condition of the course. You've talked about elevation change. Now, they got an inch of rain up there yesterday. There's a chance for more rain on Friday. High temperatures are going to be in the mid-60s, lows in the low 50s. So it's going to be cool, got an opportunity for it to be damp. The rough up there is already very lush from what I'm hearing from the players. So it seems like it's going to have a premium on driving the ball in the fairway. What's it going to take to win up there this week? Well, I, I think, Chris, is, is a, it's a double-edged sword. You know, when the golf course plays soft, you know, the ball will stay in the fairways, effectively play wider. Uh, the greens hold better. Okay, so, you know, you, you give that to a skilled player, and he now has an advantage. The disadvantage is with cool temperatures and soft fairways, the ball does not go as far. So, listen, let's face it. Today's modern player hits at a mile. Hits at a mile. So if somebody has a good driving week in terms of accuracy and dispersion, and it's a Brooks Kepka or it's a Tiger or it's, or it's a John Rahm or, or anybody that bombs it, okay, they have a distinct advantage. I, don't, I feel sorry for the Jim Furyk's and the Zach Johnson's of the world 
they're going to wear out their hybrid and their five wood and their three wood. I, I, they're going to wear it out. And I just don't think, and I have a lot of respect for those guys. Don't get me wrong. I'm not disrespecting anybody, but the player that does not bomb the golf ball this week in its soft fairways and, and the length of that golf course is really going to struggle. So I think what you've effectively done with those temperatures in that rain is you've eliminated probably half the field. So if you make a little chart, Chris, tonight before you go to Betty Bye, and you put down Brooks Kepka and you put Nicholson down and you put Tiger down and you put you put whoever whoever kind of comes to mind that can keep the ball in the air a long time, you, you can you can eliminate the rest of those guys because those guys have a big advantage this week. But what about the driving accuracy piece of that, Tom? I mean, you know, I don't think anyone would ever categorize Phil Mickelson as a accurate driver of the golf ball, and probably not even Tiger for that matter. Because if you stray and now you get into that lush rough that's going to be wet and it's going to be cool, and to your point, the ball's not going to travel as far, you could be hacking it out of there, couldn't you? Chris, I mean, I mean, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta keep the ball in play. I mean, you gotta drive the ball, you know long and straight so i disagree a little bit on tiger i think tiger's driving gets a bad rap i think he's smart enough to hit three wood and can still hit the three wood in awful long ways uh phil i question his his brightness sometimes and his decisions off a of tease um so I, I i don't like Phil would be in my, wouldn't be one of my picks um but stranger things have happened but, you know, Brooks drives the ball beautifully. Uh, Dustin Johnson, who I, we haven't mentioned yet, drives the ball beautifully. Um, so it's going to be somebody who drives the ball in play and, and has, has some speed, no doubt about it. So from a, from a course layout perspective, Tom, is this, a, is this a left to right hitter's dream? Is this a right to left hitter's dream? Who, from a shot shaping perspective, who does the course favor? Well, I'm just going through it in my mind right now as you ask that question. So one's a dog leg right, two requires a little draw, three's a straight ball, uh, five is a little bit of a cut, uh, six is a draw, seven's a fade. So you see the pattern. There is no pattern. You've got yeah. to be able to move the ball both yeah. ways. And one, and one of the brilliances of, I think, of Tilly and of, of all great architects is they make you hit a variety of golf shots in championship play. And Beth Page will test every shot you've got in your bag. I promise you, Chris, every club in your bag better be sharp because there's no let-up anywhere in that golf course. None. Zero. Number two, they talk about number two being a relatively short par four. It's really, really tight. you got to shape it right to left perfectly. The green is very elevated, very elevated. You're going to hit a relatively short iron in there, but no depth perception. It's a very deep green. Uh, you, you got to get on the right quadrant on the green on the second shot. It's it's almost a blind, not blind, but it's a very uphill. You'll see the top of the flagstick type of shot. It's a really great short par four. Um, and I'm trying to think of any what I would categorize any other great short par fours. 18 plays relatively short for these guys, but it's extremely well bunkered. And it's the second shot is straight up the hill uh, to finish. So the holes are, are slight. I mean, maybe you categorize them as slight let up holes. Then they get a little tighter and they get a little bit more extreme in, in terms of elevation change. So he's used the piece of land beautifully. He he, you know, it's a Picasso on grass. It's it's just a great layout. So Tom, you've mentioned a couple of players' names so far. Who who do you expect to be at the top of the leaderboard come late Sunday afternoon? Well, if it wasn't Chris Mascaro and it wasn't Tom Patrick, 
which are two of my favorites. Um, you know, you, you, Mine how too. can you not? Yeah, exactly, exactly. How can you, after your introduction and the things you spurted in terms of stats, which I had already read, how can you leave Brooks out of that? Brooks has got to be one of your top picks. Uh, I think yep. DJ has got to be a top pick. I know, I know DJ kind of, kind of, uh, you know, spit the bit at Hilton Head a couple weeks ago. I think that it's an anomaly. I don't think that stays with it. I think great players have short memories. So I think Brooks, I think DJ's back in the mix. My, my dark horse and who, and I think it's more of an emotional dark horse than anything is Ricky Fowler. I think Ricky drives the ball beautifully and he puts the ball like, like Jesus, you know what I mean? So we're, we're all waiting for Ricky to have that breakout week. Um, John Rahm, you can't discount John Rahm because he's just so strong and drives the ball beautifully and, and he's so hungry. Um, but listen, don't, don't we all want to see Tiger and Brooks on Sunday? Don't, isn't that what we want to see? I mean, I think, I think everybody, listen, let's, let's forget all the other stuff. We want to see Tiger and Brooks and maybe DJ and throw Ricky in the mix. You know, that'd be a lot of fun. But, you know, I think those are my names that, you know, come to mind immediately. Tom, switching gears a little bit. A tournament that's going to get almost no attention this week, which is a crime, is the Women's U.S. Senior Open Championship, which is being played at a spectacular course, Pine Needles, over in Southern Pines, North Carolina. This seems like an egregious scheduling error by the LPGA and the USGA to have this event going on over there. What do you thought? I mean, we're going to miss out on, I think, on some great golf because it's going to be in relative obscurity. So I'm going to first say how bad I feel for those senior women golfers who are really talented and, and deserve to be showcased. And then I'm going to get in a lot of trouble by saying, how many times can the USGA screw up in in one decade? Can can they do it 50 times? Can they do it 60 times? You know, I mean, I mean, how stupid do you have to be to try to get an event that's only a couple years old off the ground and promote women's senior golf. And then let's just schedule that opposite the PGA Championship in Metropolitan New York on Beth Page Black. Let's just schedule that event opposite the PGA Major in Metropolitan New York. Let's just do that. That's a really good idea, don't you think? That's a great idea. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, Indeed. I, I, mean, I mean, it's just the most, pardon me, pardon my French, asinine decision in the history of major championship golf, and they do it on a regular basis. Nice job, USGA. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't. I. I just. I can't imagine being a part of that planning session and putting it on the calendar. And either a nobody realized that the PGA Championship was moving to May, and they did it so far in advance that that uh, they couldn't undo it. Or I. I don't know. It just makes zero sense to me, Tom, to your point. I mean, this is a relatively new event on the Senior Women's Tour, and to have it against the PGA Championship, I don't know. I, I can't imagine that they couldn't have gone back and changed it when the dates changed for the PGA and moved it a week or so to get it out of the way of a men's major championship. But this is a, a disaster for this tournament because it's going to be on the Golf Channel at 3 a.m., on reruns, and that's the only time anyone might tune in to watch it. It's a shame because these talented women deserve better than that. With you, they they sure they they do. And, and and listen, I am I am all for that event. I think it's a great event for women's golf. I think it's a great event for senior women's golf. I think it's a necessary event for senior women's golf. 
It should be showcased. It should be put on a pedestal. These are these are women that are legends that paved the way for today's players. They deserve better than this. And you know what? To put it on a great venue like Pine Needles, last year Chicago Golf Club, two great, great venues, and and then put it opposite a, ma- a men's major. Uh, it just it's just it's just plain flat stupid. Yes, agreed. Tom, a couple more before I let you go, and you know I got to I got to get some playing lessons from you, right? And the first playing lesson that I think that uh, some of us could benefit from is, and and you've drilled into my head over the years, short game, short game, short game. So help me help us all understand bounce, right? I mean, some of us I think need need more bounce, some of us need less bounce, depending on our swing plane and how we compress the golf ball. Talk about when do I need more bounce? What type of player do I need to be to have more bounce? And what type of player needs less bounce? Great, great question. Because I think, first of all, I, I, Bob Boke is a good friend of mine and a wonderful, wonderful man, besides being very talented at what he does in designing golf clubs. But, you know, um, Bob took me under his wing not too long ago and, and helped me understand a lot of things. Bounce is your friend. People, I wish they'd never called it bounce because people think that, think that that means that the club's going to bounce on tight lies, and it doesn't mean that at all. So what I do in my teaching, Chris, is I rename two parts of the club. I rename the leading edge of the club the digger, and I rename the bounce the skitter. So if you want the club to take a divot and you want to gouge out of a bad lie or an embedded lie in a bunker, you want to square the face up and you want to lead the, use the leading edge. But I can show you, and I wish you know we were in a more visual medium, but I can lay the bounce of the club on the ground, laying the club open, laying the bounce on the ground on the tightest of lies and just nip it off that lie because the skitter will help you receive the ground better if you know how to use it. So I think people don't understand that. They don't know how to use the golf club. Bounce is your friend. I am an advocate of more bounce more times than not than less bounce. But to your point, Chris, and a great question, if you're a very vertical player, if you're a steep player, a steep incline player, you want more bounce. If you're a real shallow approach player and you tend to hit thin shots, you need less bounce. So if you would go to VokeyWedgeworks.com, there's a lot of information there about wedge design, an explanation of wedge design, and different grinds and lofts and bounce characteristics that will really educate you and open your eyes to what you might need in your fitting process with wedges in terms of bounces. Uh, Bob is a genius. The website is highly educational. It's really an eye-opener for the average player, but that's where I would start. And Tom, sticking with the short game and around the greens, when should we be using a wedge, a sand wedge, or a lob wedge, and when are we more, you know, when are we better off using a lower lofted club like a seven or an eight iron? Well, I, I think that's what we'll start, Chris. First of all, and before I go into that explanation, one thing I need to know from you is in Myrtle Beach, were you a winner or a loser with those boys? I was a winner, actually, Okay, by a couple of strokes. My boy Angelo Kane right there with me. So we're about even, but uh, I think I edged him. I love that. That's good news. Okay, so back to your question. That's very important, Chris, to the listeners, because you, you weren't, I know you're not going to beat your own chest, but I want to give you a little plug there. So that's that was intense. <laughs> I appreciate um, you. Yeah, right, exactly. So I think the, the the shot around the greens played with a six, seven, and eight iron, what we call what we used to call a chip shot. I think that's a lost art, and I think we get away from that. And we shouldn't get away from that because that's a shot 
that we have to have in our bag. So I think we, in general, we reach for too much loft too many times. When we can get the ball on the ground sooner and get it running and using the contour of the green as our friend. So that's number one. But as far as when do I use what, I think it depends on the quality of the lie. I think it depends on the length of the grass you're playing from, the green you're playing to, how much room you have to play to, how firm or how soft the green is, and the contour of the green. So I don't make very fast decisions when I choose a club. I love when I give a playing lesson and I pull up to the right side of the green and the guy's ball is 35 yards away on the left side of the, you know, left of the green somewhere. He really can't see the lie or see the shot. And he walks to the golf ball with one club in his hands. And invariably he gets over and he goes, oh, I wish I had this club or I wish I had that club. I think you leave the cart if you're riding with, with several options in your hand. And I never walked, as in terms of a playing lesson, I say to people, don't go to a golf ball that you can't clearly see the situation of without two or three options in your hand, a running option, a mid-loft option, and a high-loft option. So when you get over there and you diagnose the situation, you can make the right choice and have the best chance for success. Tom, one more before I let you go. And when we find ourselves in a fairway bunker, and we still have a pretty lengthy shot to the green, maybe around 150 yards or so. Talk about how we're supposed to set up and take that swing so that we get the ball out clean and we hit a good golf shot. Well, you know, stability and balance is a big deal in hitting a good golf shot, right, Chris? So one of the things that people do in a fairway bunker, don't do enough of in a fairway bunker, is kind of dig their feet. And I always kind of like to dig a little little trench, get my feet in, in, embedded in the sand a little bit because I want to create some stability so when I make a swing and change direction and try to create some speed, I don't slip. That's number one. Number two, because I embed my feet in, I've virtually lowered my center of gravity, so I've got to choke down on the club the same amount that I've lowered myself into the into Mother Earth. Okay, So I want to make sure that matches so I've got a level contact point. I generally play the ball actually a little further forward, which might confuse some people, because I want to pick it clean. I want to hit a clean shot, you know, a thin shot will, will will get me up by the green. A fat shot will get me nowhere. And then generally, I'll I'll choke down on the club and I'll take one more club than I would normally take that distance. So I don't make an aggressive swing. I keep my tempo smooth. So I keep my balance. I keep my stability, and I don't slide around in the sand. That said, I do have to make a decision about the loft I take based on the size of the lip of the bunker in front of me. Also, so sometimes we put ourselves in fairway bunkers where reaching the green on the next swing is not a possibility. So we got to make sure we make some good decisions before we choose the club. Tom, remind our listeners again how they can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing and follow you online and on social media as well. Thanks, Chris. Well, certainly the easiest way to find me or find my information is at www.tompatry.com. But I'm happy to have anybody text me or contact me at my on my uh, cell at 239-404-7790. And then, of course, my email is tpatry at mindspring.com. But the website, Chris, is probably the best place, just tompatry.com, because that has all my confirmation, all my information, excuse me, embedded in it there. TP, you're the best, my friend. I can't thank you enough for uh, being a part of the show again this week. Already looking forward to when you're back in a couple of weeks. And between now and then, all the best, my friend. Chris, these, I, I say this all the time. I'll say it every time I'm on. These listeners don't know how lucky they are to have somebody like you in the airwaves 
You bring so many talented people to them every single week. I'm sure Dr. Jones is listening in. I hope we give him a big shout out. And the young man that's coming on behind you is taking on a wonderful situation there in Atlanta. What a great opportunity and what a great facility for the city of Atlanta. So have fun with him. I intend to do just that. Thank you, TP. All the best. We'll catch up soon. Chris, God bless. Thanks, Tom. See you, Tom. That's a great Tom Patry, my friends, at Tom Patry uh, um, uh, on Twitter and on uh, Instagram. And you can find him, TomPatry.com, P-A-T-R-I, TomPatry.com. Great stuff uh, online on, on his website and everything he shares every single week or every time he joins me on the show, I should say, is absolutely outstanding. Makes the show so much fun. And I look forward to having Tom back on the show again in a couple of weeks. Before I get to my next guest, Jason Kuyper, I want to remind you about a few of our sponsors. And folks, well, TaylorMade has done it again. The all-new TaylorMade M5 and M6 drivers have arrived. And what a story. They are both they both feature speed-injected twist face, which is created through a revolutionary manufacturing process. So every single head, and I do mean every single head, is injected and calibrated to the threshold of the legal limit. So basically, every head now is tour spicy. So speed for all of us. And it's now available online. Check it out at TaylorMadeGolf.com. I also want to give a shout out to one of our new sponsors, the Sandestin Resort. Surrounded by white sand beaches in the beautiful Gulf of Mexico, Sandestin Golf and Beach Resort offers three championship golf courses open to the public and one semi-private course as well. With top recognition from leading golf magazines and reviewers from around the world, each course provides an exciting challenge in different scenic settings. Golfers can choose to play one or all three of the golf courses, Raven Golf Club, the Robert Trent Jones layout that played host to the PGA Tour champions back in 2006 and 2007. The Lynx Golf Club, designed by Tom Jackson, offers a winding layout across a backdrop from the Baytown Marina plus the Chakawachi Bay as well. Baytown Golf Club, another beautiful Tom Jackson design. They've got a fifth set there, a fifth set of tees for U.S. kids, so you can take your juniors and really enjoy that golf course. And Burt Pine Golf Club, which is a semi-private Reese Jones design available only to registered Sandestin guests. Visit them online at sandestin.com forward slash tea time or give them a call at 844-887-SAND for more information and to book your tea times as well. And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. And now joining me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is PGA professional Jason Kuyper. Let me give you a little background on Jason. He earned his Bachelor of Science degree in Business Administration from Millersville University in Millersville, Pennsylvania, which is located between Harrisburg and Philadelphia. Went on to earn his Master's degree at Moravian College in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. While in school, he became a teaching professional at the Shawnee Inn and Golf Resort. In 2009, he became the head teaching professional at the McCord Golf School down in Orange Lake, Florida, and was also the director of instruction at Woodlock uh, Springs up in the Poconos during that same time. Last fall, he came here to Atlanta as now the director of instruction at the new Bobby Jones Golf Complex, and I'm very honored he is with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Jason, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, Chris, thanks for having me. So, Jason, I want to start out by sort of going back to the beginning. When was it that you decided that being a PGA professional is really what you wanted to do? Yeah, so my golf story was um, 
Shawnee Inn. I grew up basically there, played there in high school, um, hanging out at the course, you know, 24-7. That was kind of the MO for all the all the kids of the high school team. And I, I just kind of watched the teaching pros and, and saw what they did and got intrigued by it. Um, I think my interest in teaching, you know, probably came as a lot of guys as I tried to improve my own game by taking lessons. So I took a lot of lessons from local, you know, teaching pros in the area and just the way that they were able to help me um, was inspiring. And they made a difference in my game. And I saw how I got better you know, quickly, I started the game pretty late. I actually didn't pick up the game till I was 16, um, but took a lot of lessons early uh, right away. And that helped me progress. And, and without those lessons, I, you know, I wouldn't be here today. So all those early pros that I, I took lessons from when I was in high school really paved the way and, and got me interested in it. Um, you know, went to school, went to college, didn't really know what I wanted to do. But every time I went away from golf I always went back to golf so it was one of those things that no matter how hard it seemed like I tried to get away from the game sometimes um, it always pulled me back in and uh, I'm thankful it did and uh, it really is all just credit to my mentors and I've had too many to even name you know guys who have helped me helped me progress and learn and and really I owe it all to them you know from Rick McCord to Dick Farley and you know, just too many other guys to name that helped me learn to teach and enjoy being a PGA pro. And Jason, you mentioned, you know, you didn't know what you wanted to do, but the game sort of always pulled you back in. Was there an event in your life or something that you saw or, you know, experience that said, you know what? Yeah, I want to teach this game. Well, so, yeah, I finished grad school in the summer of 2008, which is pretty much the worst time in the history of the world to finish an MBA because of the uh, the market <laughs> was so terrible. Um, and I, you know, I went back to Shawnee with a master's degree and I said, all right, I need a job. So I worked outside. Yeah, I worked outside staff with a master's degree and um, I, I re really enjoyed it. And um Actually, a good friend of mine that summer qualified for the 2008 Open at Torrey, so I, I had the you know honor of going out there with him and spending time. He was he played at Torrey um, in 2008, and uh, I had the little swing coach badge, and I was like this is pretty cool. And you know I had that luxury of just because we grew up together and we were best friends. Um, and it was really then that I said, all right, let's do this golf thing. And he was playing mini tours. And that fall, after that summer of 08, he was going down to Florida to play the mini tours, as, you know, most guys do. And, you know, I didn't have a job and I didn't have anything to do. So I said, all right, let's go to Florida. And, uh, you know, I was lucky to meet Dick Farley, who is a legend in golf instruction. He was at Shawnee at the time. And I said, hey, Dick, you know, I'm going to Florida. Um, anybody, you know, down there can help me get a job. And he said, matter of fact, there is, and it was Rick McCord, you know, another, another legend in golf instruction. And, uh, Dick got me set up with Rick and, you know, the rest is history, as they say. And Jason, it's interesting, you know, you mentioned Rick and, you know, prior to your current role, as you mentioned, you were the head teaching professional down there at the McCord Golf Academy. And, and Rick has been, as you talk about a legend, a guy has been a, among the top 100 teachers in America. 
for over 25 years. In fact, it was in the inaugural list that Golf Magazine put together back in 1991. So talk about your time working with Rick and what he taught you about the game. Yeah, one word, everything, basically. You know, I started I started with him, and all I really had known was what I worked on in my own game. Um, but just basically shadowing him for years and, you know, starting off with the, the junior clinics and the new golfer clinics and that sort of thing. And just um, he – he is incredible in that he he let me teach a little bit. You know, he watched me teach. He helped me teach. He critiqued me. And that was one thing that I take away from my time with Rick is that he wasn't afraid to let the younger guys go out there and teach um, under his supervision. Whereas, you know, a lot of times, a lot of directors instruction, top names there, it's me, 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 and I'm going to teach and I'm going to take all the good clients and this and that. They They really don't give a lot to the the staff instructors um and without that you know a lot of a lot of young guys get burnt out because they're really not given the opportunity um to go out there and learn and make mistakes and teaching but rick was always there to kind of help out if if the lesson got off track or whatever and uh you know that's something that'll take away with me forever as now you know fortunately i'm in a position where I can, you know, bring some staff on and, and help them learn and grow. And uh, I'm actually really starting to enjoy that where I'm able to mentor some staff. And Jason, you mentioned junior clinics and you're one of the top junior instructors. And I was curious to get your thoughts. How do you keep kids excited about the game of golf, wanting to come back and learn and continue to play and make it a game for a lifetime? Yeah, well, you know, with that, my whole career, um, you know, I, I recognize U.S. Kids Golf as a leader in the industry, and uh, I've been U.S. Kids certified for a while, and I learned a lot from from going through that process. And as this opportunity came out here with Bobby Jones Golf Course, I was so happy to learn that U.S. Kids Golf was uh, a founding partner of the project, and the the Grand Slam Golf Academy is a U.S. Kids golf academy and everything we do with junior golf is powered through the u.s kids star program and that program is so well put together that it's so easy um to get kids involved it's just one of those programs that you really if you just commit to it and do it um the kids get excited so there's there's 10 levels of the program five are out right now there's going to be five more coming out soon but you know the kids get their hats and as they work through their books they get achievements they get pins and every clinic we do you know we start out and say all right you need you know putting or full swing or whatever and we go out there with the goal um we work through it we let them know what they need to accomplish and they get a pin you know a little uh, gold pin that they put on their hat so they get a hat they get a bag tag, they get a book. So they, they, they're part of the program. And, you know, something as simple as a little pin as an adult, we say, oh, you know, we understand that this is just a little cheap piece of metal, but to a kid that might as well be a three foot big trophy. You know, that's when in the U S open sometimes it's just getting that pin and putting that on their hat. And it's incredible. Those kids will come into the clinic and they'll know they'll know that, hey, I did my full swing last week, and if I get my scoring today, I can get my level three done. And I said, how do you know that? And they said, well, it's on the board. So the kids love it. The motivating factor there is is those pins and those small rewards, but they have to earn it. 
you know, it's not just you get a pin every time. They have to earn it, and uh, it keeps them focused, but it's also fun. Yeah, that's awesome, that that level of recognition. And that mean, I can see where that would mean a great deal to a kid. Heck, it would mean a great deal to me if I uh, was able to you know show the achievements that I made in the game of golf. So kudos to you for doing that. And, and Jason, and I know from being the father of three kids, attention spans aren't what they used to be when I was a kid. How, how are you keeping the kids not, not only excited about playing the game, right, but really just staying involved because, you know, Typically nowadays, right, kids are involved in their phones, they're involved in video games, their, their attention spans don't last more than 10 minutes to do much of anything. But you're there and, and keeping these kids energized and playing a game that takes a little longer than five or 10 minutes to play. How do you do that? Yeah, the the trick is just games-based learning. Um, it's just coming up with creative ways um, to play games, you know, whether it's um, putter pull or chip-tac-toe or, you know, chipping bocce, things like that, that are, they're learning and you can mix in a little coaching there. You can mix in a little bit of instruction strategically, but the, all the kids think is they're playing a game against their buddies. They're just trying to get it close to the hole or get it in the hole. And the more uh, gamification you can make uh, of that instruction, the better it is. I mean, the you know, the worst thing you can do is just stand there and beat balls for 45 minutes because you're going to lose them and they're never going to come back. But the the key is make it fun, use colored golf balls and colored cones and put up targets that they can hit the ball into or through. I mean, the big thing the kids love is we take some alignment sticks and we put some foil there, just like the break the glass challenge from big break. And they love just whaling that ball, trying to hit that foil. And when they're working on their ball striking trajectory control, um, all that. So yeah, just keeping it, keeping it light, keeping it fun, and then just mix in some instruction when you have an opportunity. So Jason, going back to your time working with Rick McCord, how did, how did you go from being down there and a part of his teaching school and now coming up here and being the director of instruction at the new Bobby Jones golf complex here in Atlanta? Yeah, so I moved to Florida in, in uh, 2008, 2009, and I, I lived down there full-time, full years for uh, for six years, and the winter, the winters are great down there. The resort that I was at, Orange Lake Resort, is fantastic um, in the winter, um, but the summers were pretty quiet, um, so I saw an opportunity to kind of go back home, actually, and that's where Woodlock, uh, Woodlock Springs works in is, saw that job opportunity for the summer season. And, um, you know, with Rick's blessing, he said, yeah, get out of here for the summer, go up there and teach. The weather was a little bit better. And, you know, for me, it was kind of coming back home up to the Poconos. I was able to spend some time up there and I did four seasons up there as the director of instruction. And that was really where I was able to, for the first time, cut my teeth and kind of creating my own academy, um, how I wanted to do it. Um, that was a great experience. And I worked up there for a PGA, a great PGA pro uh, named John Pillar, who is really a long-term, long-time Philly section, you know, top 50 master's teachers. And he's a good teacher in his own right. So he kind of, again, let me create the academy there how I wanted to with his input. And, um, you know, he was, he's running the golf operation and I was running the academy. We had a great partnership there for a few years. And, um, that was fantastic. Kind of going back home, I could see my parents and that sort of thing. Um, but I have a young family, so the back and forth, the north and south thing, obviously runs its course for a lot of 
for a lot of pros. A lot of pros do the north and south thing for a while. Um, but with a young daughter, it was time for me to figure out kind of where I was going to be full year. Um, fortunately, this, this position came up uh, just through the PGA. So it's not, in this case, it wasn't who you know. It was just a posting, and it hit my career links. And, you know, I, I put my hat in the ring, and, and I said, hey, let's see what happens here. And, um, you know, lucky, lucky enough, I made it through the process. And um, still not sure why they picked me, but uh, I'm happy to be where I'm at. <laughs> and uh, it's a great opportunity. It's one of those things that uh, once you get there, and in every in every process of the interview was the video interview and then the, the I went down there and interviewed the the scope of the project and understanding the project just got bigger and bigger and I said wow this is really going to be something um you know whereas when I first looked into it I didn't I didn't understand what it was or what it was going to be um so really it now that I'm here and we're kind of getting into it it's really it's really could be a project that changes golf and in the country, honestly, for how golf courses make money and uh, and be successful, and uh, to get in kind of on the the first step of that um, is is an incredible honor, and um, I think we're going to do some big things. Yeah, I agree. You're going to do some big things, and I'm telling you, the golf course is all the rage around Atlanta, and I'm certainly dying to get out there and and see see the complex and play the reversible nine hole courses. And and for those that aren't aware, Jason, explain the courses because it's it's two separate nines essentially the way that it's set up. I mean, you play one set of nine, you know, twice. But you can come back a couple of days later, and the course is set up completely different, and you play that set of nine twice. Talk about what makes that golf course so special. Yeah, so when they were putting the the project together, and first of all, the, the land used to be an 18-hole course. Um, it was a small, kind of short, tight course. And when they, when they went to redo it, um, you know, the foundation and uh, Bob Cup decided they looked at the property and realized they didn't have enough land to do a quality 18-hole golf course. In fact, if they put in a normal 18-hole golf course on that property, because it's only 128 acres, um, it would have only been about 5,400 yards. That was the first redesign. They realized that was not long enough, of course, and they they kind of went back to the drawing board and said, okay, what are we going to do? So the story was um, Bob Cup you know, understood some of the reversible nature from St. Andrews. And he said, I, I think we can build a reversible nine, nine hole course. And through a bunch of different redesigns and looking at it um, with the property, they decided that putting in the reversible nine with a, a, a quality practice area and driving range, plus a golf Academy would make just as much money or more you know, than just an 18-hole course, and the city of Atlanta needed a good range. There, there's not many great ranges inside the perimeter. Um, so we'll talk about that later, I'm sure. But that's been a huge success. Um, back to the golf course itself, it's basically a nine-hole footprint. So if you fly over it and you look down, you you look like you're looking at nine holes. But you have, if you play it. Clockwise or counterclockwise, there's two different eight, two different nine holes that lay on top of each other, kind of like pancakes. So you have azalea um, and then magnolia. 
And on tea time days, which most days right now we're just doing tea times, um, you play it in one direction. So you can't play both nines on a tea time day. So you, if you play 18, you play the same nine twice. Um, but if you play Monday, you play Azalea. Come back Tuesday, you'll play Magnolia. That's, so that's been working out pretty good. The other way is in a shotgun format, and we do offer uh, from time to time public open access shotguns where we'll go ahead and shotgun everybody out onto the onto the nine holes, and you'll play nine holes in one direction. And in the shotgun, everyone would, would play nine holes in a row and then stop, turn around, and play nine holes in the opposite direction. So that's really the only truly way to play all 18 uniquely designed holes. Um, and we do that from time to time, and we do that in outings as well. Uh, where you can play all t- all 18 holes, and that um, that's a really unique experience because when you're out there playing, um, and this comes from experience, when you play it reversible, the holes are totally different. You know, the courses are completely different from one another, which is incredible that they they were able to do that. So, Jason, to your point a moment ago, and talking about practice facility, and you've got an amazing-looking one there because it's more than just a driving range. You've got it all there from the short game range to a, a wonderful putting green as well. Talk about all the practice facilities that you make available to folks. Yeah, so the main range is is, uh, is 40 stalls. It's 40 bays. Um, we we have a mixture of mats and grass. Um we do a rotation that you're on the grass um, the majority of days, but we're on mats some days just to save the tee. Um, the grass is, you know, super high quality. The range balls are super high quality. We have the Bridgestone Tour practice ball. So, you know, you're going out there and hitting a, a very quality range ball off of quality turf, um, really the best mats money can buy out there too. So everything is done really to the finest detail and the highest quality. Um, right now, while we're still under construction, we do have a public access short game area um, with a bunker. You can chip putt. You can hit pitch shots up to 30, 40 yards, um, and that's great, and that's adequate. Uh, there's no fee for that. You just It's great to just see people come down and, and practicing their short game as well as hitting some balls. Um, once, the, once the clubhouse goes in, which we just broke ground on that, which is super exciting, we're actually going to have a uh, Himalayan-style putting course it's going to be about a one acre uh big putting green um just off the clubhouse so that's going to be really nice and big and we'll also have a a secondary chipping and pitching area um that will all be open public access that again doesn't really exist um in the city here and then on top of all that we've got the cup links which is a junior golf course it's a six hole golf course um just off the side of the range that will be open in the fall uh that's going to be really geared towards juniors and growing the game and and any kind of growth of the game initiatives where they're shorter holes 50 to 70 yards and um you know we're going to have kids are free with a paying adult and that sort of thing and uh great for short game practice and it's going to be maintained at the same level and quality of the regular golf course Wow. What a facility. And you've got Georgia State out there, right? Georgia State uses the uh, facilities there for their practice as well, right? Yeah, Georgia State. So up on the north end of the up on the north end of the range, there is a secondary uh, range tee with grass that they uh, lease from us. They have some short game area there, too. That's just for them. 
And um, they had a pretty nice end of the year, and some of that's definitely attributed to the practice facility being better and giving them a place to come out and uh, hone their skills a little bit. So Jason, I want to switch gears a little bit. Got to get a few playing lessons from you for our, our listeners. And I want to start out by talking about how to establish a good pre-shot routine when many of us have so many different swing thoughts you know, in our minds. How can we declutter our minds and get ready to hit a good golf shot? Yeah, so the key with with swing thoughts and pre-shot routine is, you know, they're good, but you've got to be careful not to let those swing thoughts be like a train coming down the tracks. And that's what it is for a lot of people and they're they're basically yelling at themselves to do this and do that and they they've got five things on that laundry list that they're trying to check off before they even pull the trigger. Um swing thoughts are great, but there's a time and a place to work on that sort of thing. So what I tell all my students is if you're working on something, if you're thinking about a swing thought, do that in the practice swing. So make a practice swing and focus on what you're thinking about, whether it's swing path or your finish or balance, footwork, anything like that. That's kind of in universe one, we call it. So once you do that, you know, then you just want to get up over the ball and pull the trigger and just hope that that feel works its way in there. So when you're over and actually performing the shot, you can't you can't expect to have all those swing swing thoughts actually work. So do your mechanics beforehand, do your swing thoughts beforehand, and then step in there. Um, if you're really a person that has a lot of mental problems with the game, there's there's a great program that that I was fortunate enough to learn down with Rick McCord is called the fluid motion factor. And, and the gentleman that created that, his name is Stephen Yellen. Um, his program is really a neuroscience based program and how you can get your mind to be a little bit quieter. Um, and a lot of people struggle with that, that quiet mind aspect to it. So one of the great tips that if we have a student who's really struggling with the, the mental side is we'll just have them pick a number. And during their pre-shot routine, as they're walking up to the ball, as they're waggling, as they're settling settling in, they're just gonna they're just gonna repeat that number to themselves, just very very quietly and softly and slowly, almost as if they're whispering it um, to a baby. You know, imagine that, very very soft. And it's incredible when you watch someone do this as the teacher, you'll see their everything's just slows down, gets softer, their shoulders kind of slouch a little bit, they kind of lumber up their very uh, very softly and it's a totally different approach to the ball and all that's really doing is getting it so that your prefrontal cortex which is the intellect part of your brain is getting that quieter and softer and when that prefrontal cortex kind of gets quiet um, then the motor system part of your brain can really function more effortlessly and more efficiently to your body um, so that's a good just tip for people if they're really struggling with their swing thoughts. Pick a number, say it very softly as you're walking up, and then pull the trigger, and you'd be surprised at the fluidity you're going to experience. Wow. What a great tip. Thank you for sharing that one, Jason. And uh, I want to get a couple more from you. And, and um, this one, talk about the grip. Making sure we have, you know, that fundamental done correctly. We have so and particularly with respect to stopping us from slicing the golf ball. What is the way that we should have our hands on the golf club so that we make sure we're not going to be pushing that ball off to the right? 
Yeah, you know, I really, in my teaching, the grip is pretty much number one, two, and three, and four. I mean, we look at the grip so much, and, uh, you know, there's, there's some of my staff instructors actually, you know, ridicule me a little bit about how much we just sit there and focus on the grip and the grip and the grip, because, you know, and, and this I learned right from Rick McCord. So understanding that in the golf swing, there's a lot of cause and effect. Um and there's people who have swing faults, um, especially let's just let's just attack this as a slicer, a right-handed player who's a slicer. Yes, they come over the top. Yes, their swing path is left. Yes, they probably aim poorly. Um, yes, they probably early release it and cast it, right? So you've got three or four or five problems there um, in a slice move, but all those things are effects. They're all secondary. You know, you can't fix those unless you fix the root underlying cause, um, which is going to be that open club face. And the open club face is going to be caused by your grip. Um, that's the only thing touching the club. And it, it's really the most important fundamental, in my opinion. So, again, attacking this as a right-handed player uh, who's slicing the ball Start with the left hand. You've got to get that down deep down into the fingertips so that you can get the the main part of your hand up over to the right. So the the grip will be sitting down in your fingertips and your thumb of your left hand will be over to the right of the center of the shaft. So, you know, if you've got a logo on the grip, make sure the thumb is over to the right of that logo. Um and from there, you should see more the back of your hand. You should see two or three knuckles on that left hand. And the way to test that is if you get it in there properly, just holding your left hand on the club, pull the club up about waist high, and you should be able to close the club face very easily and open it just very little. Um, again, that's to fix a slice. You should also be able to get a very good free hinge and wrist action. So if you have it in your palm or if you have that thumb down the middle, which a lot of people have that thumb straight down the middle, the face is going to open and you're not going to have very good wrist action. <clears throat> and then with the right hand, just have that match it. And again, I'd rather see that right hand a little bit more to the right. Um, for most players, especially new players, I'd rather have both hands more to the right. Um, that's going to help close the club face. And then, you know, once you get the face closing, then you can start worrying about path and release and lag and angle of attack and all that other stuff. But, you know, if you're sitting there working on path and you've got an open club face or a weak grip, you've got no chance. Jason, one more, and uh, let's talk about setup on chip shots. Where should our weight distribution be when we're in our setup? Where should the ball position be? And then talk a little bit about shaft lean. Yeah, so for a lot of wedge shots and chip shots, I like to kind of teach just a pretty basic standard setup, which I'm going to keep the ball pretty middle um, with a narrow stance. Um, with that said, I'm going to have my weight pressure more left uh, for a right-handed player. So I'm going to go, you know, maybe 60%, 70% left. Um, middle ball location and as I kick my weight pressure left that should the handle the handle of the club should be uh, a little bit forward as well so you want the handle of the club in your hands uh, a little bit more towards your left thigh um, that's kind of a standard setup from there you can take a seven iron hit a little low chip shot you can take um, a pitching wedge and hit kind of a middle running you know 
half carry, half roll chip shot, or you can take that sand wedge and hit two-thirds carry, one-thirds roll, um, all from that same exact setup, same exact stance, same exact swing. Um, the more variables you have in your setup, the harder it is to be consistent. Um, when you're actually going to execute the shot, the biggest thing I see people struggle with is low point control, is just understanding where the club is bottoming out. So I'll have my students set up where the club head is, is on the ground, just inside the ball. So for a practice swing, but don't just do a practice swing anywhere or way far away from the ball. Do it just a few inches inside the ball so that the club head is even with the ball and take a couple practice swings and make sure that the club is brushing the grass, not chopping down, but just a shallow little brush of the grass um, right at or slightly in front of the ball. This is the easiest way to test if, you know, you're hitting way behind or you're scooping at it or you're flipping at it, or sometimes players have the bottom of the swing arc too far forward. So the more you can just get some repetition of getting the bottom of the swing arc where it's brushing the grass to be right at or slightly in front of the bottom of the ball, um, you're going to be in good shape. And if you do that pre-swing, you can step in there with confidence because you just did it successfully and pull the trigger and hopefully have some good results. Jason, all great stuff and great tips. I appreciate very much you sharing that with our listeners. Let our listeners know, Jason, how they can stay up to date with all the things that you're doing and follow you and what's going on at the, at the new Bobby Jones golf club here in Atlanta. How can they do that? Whether it's online or it's on social media. Yeah, so the best place is going to be the website, which is bobbyjonesgc.com. Um, you can also follow myself on Instagram as Jason Kuiper Golf. Um, we also have a Bobby Jones Golf Course Instagram uh, that we post tips a lot of times. Bobby Jones Golf Course on Facebook so and Twitter as well, Bobby Jones Golf Course on Twitter. So we post a lot of tips um, to help you improve, and that's where you can find my email and contact information. Um, don't hesitate to reach out if any of the if any of the listeners have any questions. Uh, my email is right on there. It's Jason dot Kuiper, K U I P E R at BobbyJonesGC.com. Well, Jason, like I said earlier, I'm dying to get out there and play the golf course and see the uh, practice facilities. It all looks amazing. And I hope you'll come back and join me again sometime soon, share more of your stories and your tips and give us an update on what's going on out there because it's a wonderful place and you've been a great guest tonight. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Come on out. Let's uh, let's tee it up, Chris, and we'll, we'll get your game uh, a little sharper maybe. And, uh, yeah, I appreciate you having me on. It's a lot of fun, and we'll do it again soon. I hope so, and I look forward to seeing you out on the golf course. Take care, Jason. All the best to you and your family, my friend. All right. Thanks, Chris. See you, Jason. That's Jason Kuiper, K-U-I-P-E-R. And uh, I'm telling you, folks, the, the place looks absolutely spectacular. I really can't wait to get out there. And I'm, just, uh, I'm equally as excited about the practice facilities that they have. And you heard Jason talking about it as I am about checking out, you know, how that nine reversible nine works and all of those sorts of things. So uh, it looks like a great place. Jason, a lot of great tips and a lot of great instruction. Follow him online and on Twitter and on Instagram. Check him out. I, I was looking at the videos prior to the show, and uh, he's got a lot of really great tips out there. So look forward to having Jason back on the show again really soon. And like Tom Patry said uh, at the end of his segment, 
I want to give a big shout out to uh, to Dr. Bob Jones the fourth. Doc is a wonderful friend of the show, been on many times, and uh, had some wonderful comments to make on Facebook and uh, sharing the link to tonight's show. Hope Doc's listening in. Doc, I appreciate you very, very much. Look forward to having you back on the show and talking about your experiences out at the Bobby Jones Golf Complex as well. So look forward to Jason and Doc back on the show again real soon. All right, folks, time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Tee. My sincere thanks go out to Tom Patrick and Jason Kuiper for joining me tonight. Folks, appreciate you guys very much. Please share your thoughts with me. Check out our page on Facebook, Next on the Tee with Chris Mascara. You can put a comment in there. Let me know what you're thinking about the show. Plus, like I always say, if you've got a question or one of my you know previous guests, one of my future guests, and you can see our, our guest schedule out there on our website, nextonthetee.net, but let me know, and I'll be glad to get that uh, question on the show and answered for you as well. So stay tuned. Give us your feedback. We appreciate it very much. Folks, we can't thank you enough for choosing to listen to this show tonight and for making Next on the Tee a part of your golfing content. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends. You've been listening to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro. Tonight in Arkansas, there's a mother tucking in her daughter and turning off the light. A business owner is burning the midnight oil. An at-home dinner date is plating up possibility. And it's all happening under one roof. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one John from Integrity Solutions had with First Horizon Bank about his vision for a sustainable mixed-use building. Now it's not just words, it's life. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash John. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. The fan is ready for brave season. Are you? 3-1 smoked high in the air, deep center field, and heading for the horizon. A home run by Olsen. We're streaming every game of the Braves 2024 season free on the 680 The Fan app. So make sure you download it now and don't miss a pitch of the Braves this season.